just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. From APP.com, it's time to talk college hoops in the Garden State. Welcome to Jersey Jump Shot. Welcome back to Jersey Jump Shot. Ryan Ross here with Jerry Carino and Chris Eisman recapping another week of college hoops in New Jersey. February, it's winding down. March is right around the corner. We're starting to get a little bit more of a clear picture of what it might look like come tournament time. But of course, still a lot can happen. Lots of games coming up this week that will have a huge impact on our five teams that are competing for a spot in the NCAA tournament. We're going to have an interview later on in the show. You're going to want to hang around for that. Mitch Henderson, head coach at Princeton. Of course, the Tigers have been at or near the top of the Ivy League just about the entire season. We'll have a fun conversation with Coach Henderson coming up later in the show, so stay tuned for that. Before we get there, let's start with the Scarlet Knights, Chris. They lose at home to Nebraska, a tough one there, but then they go on the road and win at Wisconsin. They have a huge game coming up Thursday with Michigan before going to Penn State Sunday, so the state of the Scarlet Knights after this last week. Yeah, I mean, listen, the, the Nebraska game, was a, it was a third loss in a row, and that was a dud. I mean, it was the worst that they played all season. And what was surprising about it, obviously, was it was the defense that let them down. They just didn't play well at that end of the floor at all. Nebraska, it seemed like, was doing whatever it wanted to do, get into the basket. Um, there was just that that typical toughness, that grit, you know, that that resistance that Rutgers had always showed um, all season was just – it was gone. It was not there, and it was very surprising. And obviously, C.J. Wilcher, Plainfield native, I should say, had a great game. Um, hitting some long threes, some tough threes. So it was just one of those games that Rutgers just didn't show up for like it had all season. And it was very surprising. Um, after the game, Steve Peichel was clearly, clearly frustrated. And again, because it was the defense, that that really was the problem. And they had to go to Wisconsin. They had to win. I mean, that you know, if you lose four in a row, you lose to a team in Wisconsin that was certainly, you know, has had its share of uh, you know ups and downs this year. They had to beat Wisconsin. Uh, and they did, you know, they grinded out a win thanks to, you know, I mean, Cam Spencer was unbelievable in the first half. I mean, without Cam Spencer, I, they're not winning that game, you know, 19 points. He cooled down a little bit. They focused more on him in the second half, but you know, everything he did in the first half was huge. Uh, the defense was much better. Um, obviously the, the big question now is, is Caleb McConnell status. And I know Jerry spoke to Steve Peichel, you know, uh, on Sunday, um, about that a little bit. And so we'll, Maybe he can provide more from what Steve said, but I mean, we'll we'll see what Caleb's status is. But you know, obviously, that's a big loss, and not to have the reigning defensive player, Big Ten defensive player of the year. But again, what's important is that Rutgers did what it had to do um, and got that win because you don't want to lose, you know, four in a row. Um, the one thing I will say, and I, I, you know, the losing streak is a losing. Teams go through losing streaks, and I think some of the panic out there was a little much. It, it was that's going to happen over the course. It was of a lot season. much. It was a lot much. <laughs> I'm trying to be. I'm trying to be kind. I'm trying to be gentle. All right. It was a lot much. I think you know fan bases are. They tend to get too high when things are going well and too low when things aren't going so well. Yeah. I mean, it's a long season. You kind of have to ride out the waves a little bit. And it was just. I mean, some of the stuff that I was hearing and seeing about you know the team struggles. I mean, 
relax, relax. Everything's going to be all right. It's Big Ten. You know, these are again anything can now happen. Look at in Purdue. Any game. Look at Purdue. Purdue had a losing streak. Indiana. Indiana right. was left for dead in December. I mean, right. This, I mean, look at you know, UConn. So you know, closer to home. UConn through the middle of the Big East season had a huge losing streak, and this stuff happens. Exactly. So. You know, it's it again, as you said, Ryan, it's a huge game on Thursday. But I think what's important is that Rutgers, like I said, did what they had to do in Wisconsin and got that road win. It's it's college basketball. It's not college football. I think with Rutgers, a lot of times what you're dealing with is like a lot of new fans coming over who would who had supported Rutgers football who haven't quite got their heads around the idea that this is a 31 game season and like losing three games in a row in college football is a death knell for your season. It's not in college basketball. It happens all the time. Two years ago, Rutgers lost five straight games, and they wound up, you know, within a bucket of the of making the Sweet Sixteen. So, this is the Especially way the two wins were on the road against Indiana, and Illinois. Right. There's not exactly easy places to go. To. Right? They had one. Rutgers had one bad game. They had one, one stinker. Duck. They had one stinker. It was at home, so it was it was really surprising. Shocking. But they had one bad game, and this is what happens in this sport. Now, it it does take time to figure out. It takes a couple weeks to figure out how to lose an, an integral play, uh, how to replace an integral player like Mawat Mag. I, I don't know if Rutgers is they're never going to replace him, but they have to figure out how to move on without him. And there's, you know, they saw some signs of them starting to do that. Uh, I thought Rutgers subs against Wisconsin played really well defensively. Look, Rutgers offensively, the game was Camp Spencer, right? But defensively, it was all hands on deck. They did a good job. Wisconsin's not an offensive juggernaut. And they are a good matchup for Rutgers because they play so slow. But Rutgers role players did a good job. And it was great to see Derek Simpson on the floor in crunch time at the end of the game. Who cares if he starts? He was finishing. And you know what? It was his blow by and getting to the rim at the in the last possession that put Andre Hyatt in position to get his game-winning putback, which may have been a goaltend. It was really close. It was really close. Probably not. It was close. But, you know, Rutgers deserves a break. They've had some rough breaks this year. But it was great to see Derek Simpson on the floor on both ends, really helping Rutgers win. And that's the guys who are going to have to step up here, the role players. And you saw a sign of that against Wisconsin. Now, Michigan. So you have a few days off here. Will Kayla McConnell play? Nobody knows. Yesterday morning when I talked with Steve Peichel, McConnell was still in bed. Okay. He was hurting the whole way home. The trip home made it worse. You know, planes, trains, and automobiles. The trip home made his back worse. He was a pretzel when he got home. Uh, I asked Steve, how's Caleb doing? And he goes, not well. And like, you know, Steve, he doesn't really say anything about injuries. Not well. So it, it was bad, but they don't know. It's a back's a weird thing. It's He's had issues in the past. Is this related? They're not really sure. Uh, but I don't know that you're going to really know much until game time. Like he's going to, I'm sure he'll he'll try to practice. But, you know, could, will it get thrown out again and before the game? Nobody knows. So, it's really a toss-up. They're going to need him back. You know, they're not going to just continue to win games without him, without him and without Mag. They're not going to just continue to win games. They need him back. Michigan's is a toss-up game. Favor Rutgers because they're home. Michigan's a weird team. They've, they've played really well at some points. They haven't played well at other points. You know, it could be a lot of teams in the Big Ten this season. There's a guy by the name of Taris Reed. He's a 6'10 freshman who's played well lately for Michigan. And why he's significant is – Michigan already has a seven-foot star in Hunter Dickinson. So when you put seven feet with 6'10", and now you have Rutgers missing their best frontcourt defender in Mawat Mag, this matchup could be difficult for the Scarlet Knights. So we'll see. First order of business is get the guys back healthy. And 
any Rutgers fan who says that 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 the team is better off offensively without McConnell is just foolish. It's foolish because you can't you can't split games up like that. This isn't football, okay? The offense and defense, the guys play both. You need his defense. It creates offense a lot for Rutgers. So they need him back. Will they get him back? We'll see. But, you know, Rutgers doesn't have to win, go 2-0 this week. They got to move the change by going 1-1, right, Chris? They're at Penn State on Sunday. You've been there, Chris. Rutgers never plays well there. They don't play well there. It's not much of an environment at all. It's like dead. It's dead. It's dead. It's been a really difficult place for them. Penn State also plays well at home. They're much better at home than they are on the road. Two different teams. So, to me, the goal for Rutgers at this point is to get – right now they're a consensus eight seed – you don't want to be the eight seed. And we've, I've seen this with Seton Hall through the years. The eight seed or the nine seed is stuck because if you win that first round NCAA tournament game, you'd have to play the one seed. And it's not so much that you're playing the one seed. It's that you're playing the one seed in their backyard. It's like a home game for them. You really don't want to be that eight, nine, if you can help it. To me, the goal for Rucker is the big picture goal. Get better than an eight seed. And that means going at least one and one. They don't have to go two and oh this week. Go at least one and one, pick up a quality win, and then take it from there. But the big, the first thing is, Everybody exhale. Everybody hands off the panic button. The Rutgers players did it, and now Rutgers fans should do it. We should know, too, that Michigan could be without a key player and Jet Howard, who suffered an ankle injury the other day against Michigan State, and so his status is unknown. So you know, he's, he's an important player for them, so it'll be interesting to see what his status is. Late in the year, a lot of there's a lot of injuries. This happens. And so, unfortunately, you, know, you, ha- you want to see everybody full strength, but when you get to late February, it's sometimes a game of attrition in college basketball. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that game against Michigan, Michigan is nine and seven in conference, same record as Rutgers in conference. They're 15 and 12 overall, only two and five on the road, though. And then, as we said, they go to Penn State in what could be a sleepy environment. And depending on the emotions that we see Thursday and in, in front of a sold out crowd against, a, like I said, a big brand name like Michigan, it's going to be interesting to see. Rutgers is going to have to kind of manufacture their own energy on Sunday. They won't have uh, the hostile away crowd. Uh, the Penn State basketball arena is not the Penn State football stadium. So it can be a little sleepy there, especially a 6.30 tip on a Sunday. So it'll be interesting to see how Rutgers is able to navigate this. As we said, it starts Thursday against Michigan, Sunday against Penn State for the Scarlet Knights. As for Seton Hall, this past week, they beat Georgetown before losing to UConn. Coming up for Seton Hall, they don't play again until Friday. That's home against Xavier. So a few days off here, Jerry, to kind of get right and and get back and uh, get ready for this final push. Yeah, Seton Hall fans, put down the bracketology. I'll simplify it for you. They have three games left, and they got to win all three. And if they win all three, I think they'll be in the field on Selection Sunday. It starts against Xavier. They have a bye week, and Seton Hall is banged up. We talked about attrition. Seton Hall is banged up. I do expect Dre Davis to be back. We thought he, he would make an appearance against UConn. This is Seton Hall's sixth man. He's a nine points a game guy. And those nine points are huge for a team that can't score. A team that has really struggled to score, that plays games in the 50s. Those nine points are big. He's missed six games with a high ankle sprain. Uh, I I think Seton Hall's gone four and two in that stretch. Uh, No, sorry, three. They've gone three and three without him. But I think the one game that they they really, really cost him was at Villanova. They lost by four. That His points, really, I think that day would have put them over the top. I don't know they would have won the other two games without Davis, but that's one big win for team on the bubble. So they need him back. I think he will be back. We thought he would be back for UConn Saturday. He warmed up. He did not play. He had only practiced once. Shaheen Holloway didn't think he was ready. Barring a setback, I think Dre Davis will be back, and that will help Seton Hall. 
uh, a scorer coming off the bench. Now, how much rust will he have? He might have some. You know, you guys have rust when they haven't played in three weeks. Now, he'll have had a full week of practice probably, so that will help. But, yes, he might have some some game game time rust. Uh, we'll see. They need him to shake it off quick because this is, this is it. This is all hands on deck. This is, you know, back against the wall. Whatever analogy you want, last stand, uh, everything on the line, must win. This is it for Seton Hall. And Kadari Richmond has back – he had back problems. Again, back's a mystery, mystery thing. You know, it's hard to predict. He did leave the UConn game. Once he left the UConn game, the hall was kind of dead in the water, even though they did play hard. They need Richmond back. They have six days. They need him back. Xavier is shorthanded. Zach Fremantle from Teaneck, a local guy, Bergen Catholic alum. He's out. He's been out with a uh, foot injury. Almost certainly will be out for Friday's game. So Seton Hall only lost to Xavier by three out there. Uh, they match up pretty well. Xavier doesn't play great defense. This is a chance. Seton Hall needs their crowd and their fans to come through, and I want to emphasize this. They've had a really disappointing student turnout this year at the games. I don't know exactly why. Uh, you know, hard to put my finger on it. The team has been successful, you know, making the NCAA tournament a number of years. Maybe students got a little spoiled. But new regime, uh, favorite son coming home, you would think there'd be great student turnout. Hasn't really been the case. The students need to turn out Friday and turn that the Rock into a real home court advantage. I think they will. They're running some promotions to get students out. Uh, the ticket sales look really good. But that's a big part of this, folks. And, you know, I asked Seton Hall's players about this last week. And they're not going to – look, they're not going to criticize. They love their fellow students. But you could tell just in their words that the difference that a good student turnout can make, that's essential to this game. So that's incumbent upon Seton Hall students. And I think the administration there to try to get those kids there for that game Friday. A ranked opponent on your home floor on a Friday night for your team fighting for their tournament lives. What more do you need, Jerry? Yeah, That's you got. They have to. Else. They have to turn out. The place has to rock. And look, it's a small school. This isn't Rutgers, where there's forty thousand students, and it's a state school. You know, yeah, you're going to fill an eight thousand seat gym, no problem. And that's nothing against Rutgers fans. They're great. They're great at the. They they make that place great. But Seton Hall is a different animal. School six thousand students. But you know, they've had great student sections in the past, and this is the time where they need one this week. Absolutely, and they have a ranked opponent, as I said, in Xavier on their home floor. That's where it starts, and then they have two more games. We'll talk about those games in our next episode, but just looking ahead, Villanova at home and then at Providence to end the regular season there, and it starts this week. As I said, they played Saturday. They don't play again until this coming Friday against Xavier, so a few days off to to get right and and get ready for this final push, and they're going to need it, as Jerry said. And these next two games are winnable for Seton Hall. You're home against Xavier, which is banged up. You're home against Villanova. You know, win those two, and then you get, and then it's a one-game season. And yeah, at Providence is an acid test, but it's a one-game winning-in scenario. You know, put yourself in that scenario. If Seton Hall can get to that point, then it will have been a successful debut season for Shaheen Holloway, considering what he inherited, how new everything was, new staff, a lot of new players, and the injuries they've been dealt. If they get to that last game with a pulse for the NCAA tournament, it will have been a very successful debut season. But it starts on Friday, and students, it's on you. Have some pride in your university. Show up and be loud. That's what college basketball is about.
7 o'clock on a Friday, perfect time to go to a game. Why not? So let's make it happen. We'll see what it looks like there for Seton Hall and what kind of environment they have against Xavier on Friday. Let's take a look now at our mid-majors. And as I said at the top of the show, we have an interview today with Princeton head coach Mitch Henderson talking about the Tigers. As I've said, they've been at the top of the Ivy League just about the entire season. They win against Brown. They lose against Yale. That was a tough one. We'll talk a little bit more about that. Coming up, they have Harvard on Saturday. Before we take a look at the Tigers, let's hear from their head coach, Mitch Henderson. We're happy to welcome to the Jersey Jump Shot podcast a man I consider to be an honorary New Jerseyan. And yes, I get to make those distinctions. Mitch Henderson is in his 11th season at the helm of Princeton University of men's basketball. He recently won his 200th game. Uh, he guided the Tigers to the Ivy League title in 2017 and the regular season title last year. Of course, you remember Mitch as a player, as a key part of three Princeton Ivy League title squads, helping the Tigers win the epic NCAA tournament game against UCLA. And then, of course, he captained what I will always say is one of the best New Jersey college basketball teams I've ever seen, the 1998 Tigers, who went 27-2 and this year. Princeton 17 and 8 overall, 8 and 4 in the Ivy League, and a three way tie for first place with Yale and Penn as we head down the stretch. And important, Princeton hosts the four team Ivy League tournament in historic Jadwin Gym, one of my favorite places to watch basketball on March 11th and 12th. So, Mitch Henderson, thank you for joining us on the Jersey Jump Shot. Hey, Jerry, it's, I'm glad to be here. You know, follow you and very passionate you are for Jersey hoops. And man, I'm, I'm glad you're calling me a, a native New Jersey. And, you know, I've, I've spent more time here than I've spent anywhere else in my life. So I, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm 100% Jersey at this point. And Mitch, Mitch hails from Indiana, but yes, he's one of us. There's no question. Uh, so Mitch, I have, uh, we could talk for an hour. Okay. But I know you're busy. So we'll squeeze this in to 15 minutes. I have so much I want to ask you, but first of all, you know, for the past 11 seasons, 12 years, on a personal level, what's it been like for you to be the custodian of this great legacy that is Princeton basketball? It, it's, it's, um, it's very humbling. And um, you, you mentioned in the, in the little part up front, Jerry, Jerry, one of your favorite places to come watch a game. Every day I walk into Jadwin, I pinch myself um, every day. And Carroll said one time to, to me when, uh, when John was being built in 69, he, he said he turned to John McPhee, the famed writer here in, at Princeton. They're about the same age. They were sitting on a little stoop watching the gym get built. And he said, you know, how, how in the world can you put a bad team in that place? And that's how I feel every day. Um, so there's some responsibility there that you feel every day. You know, I look up the banners and when you're the coach, you forget and you and you must forget about what you did as a player. But of course, you carry that. Um, and um, I it's 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 a great meaning it's, to me and to many other people that, you know, we we represent the current team well and we play really hard together. And then we also have elements of the past sprinkled in, in the program, too. So I'm, uh, I feel very fortunate. Uh, to be responsible for the program. And, um, you know, every day I try to give it my very best. And um, it's, it's an honor. So let's let's talk about that history first, Mitch, before we get into the current season. Uh, we lost Coach Carrill in August, and I'm sure you have a million stories about him. You know, can you share one that can give our listeners an idea of who he was as a man and a coach? 
is, is he was um it's it's hard to sum up a guy in in one story but of course. You know, what i would say is um before and after practice every single day for 29 years coach would sit us all down um on the bench and we would he would we would all call it and he would call it going down the line and he would tell you right where you stood in front of your teammates and it would, it would usually be very brutally honest <laughs> and there was a lot of very good things in those moments and what it did over time was it drew you closer together painfully sometimes to your teammates um and perhaps united against him it was strategic in its own way um, but you knew where you stood and most importantly jerry you knew right where everybody else stood and everybody else knew that you knew all of their little things that they needed to work on because it was public so what I would say is, you know, the thing that I've, I pull most from coach is the, the two things he said to me when I got the job was be yourself. Uh, well, I think about that all the time. And the second thing was what I've learned with him is what do you see? So how can you every single day in terms of being a teacher, and this isn't one specific story, but every day that he was around the last 10 years, he would always ask me what I would see. What do you see? And I, I look at this as what you should be thinking about as a coach. So did the guy that you're trying to help, what, what did he see? So you're putting it in, you're putting your head into the player's head all the time, every single day. Um, and came here from Indiana, as you mentioned, I didn't see, I didn't know what I was doing. Um, and I think a lot of us felt like we learned how to play and see the game from coach. And uh, that gift is never going to be lost on me. And, you know, the other thing, Jerry, is Bill Kermit, John Thompson, and Joe Scott were the assistants. So it was just this unbelievable staff um, every day that you kind of got the chance to be a part of. But um, my, my memories, Jerry, and I'm, I know I'm skipping around a bit of coach, are, are the last 10 years. You know, the, the times that I got to be around him as not as peers, but more on the level and talking coaching, being specific about you know, how to help each guy on the team get just a little bit better. And, well, you mentioned Bill Carmody. So let, let's go to him next, Mitch, because he, he coached you also. And then you coached with him, right, at Northwestern. Um, yep. What, what has he meant to you and what is what has he imparted on you above all else, Mitch? And he's well, a local he, guy, I want to add. He's a, he's a Jersey Shore guy, Spring yeah, Lake. Right. So you know, no honorary good. tag for him. He's in New yeah, Jersey yeah. through and through. Tell me about I, Bill. I learned, you know, as, as much as we talk, I talked about Coach Carrell, I, I really consider Bill to be, you know, the single most impactful, you know, mentor in my life. You know, I was, uh, you know, played for him for two years, Coach Carrell for two, and then worked with Bill at Northwestern for 11. Um, Bill, um, he sees, saw the game so quickly. Um, I, I think just an absolute brilliant basketball mind. Um and, you know, we, we, when we first got to Northwestern, we, you know, it's, it was a really tough situation. And we're coming off of an 0-16 season in the Big Ten. That's a really rough league. And, you know, it's like a, just an immersion in basketball, uh, you know, great coaching. And Bill, you know, stacked up right there with the top guys in the league. And I was just lucky to be right there and, and, and watching him every step of the way. The best thing that Bill did for me, and I'll, I'll never forget this, and I try to do this with my staff, is he gave me immediate – large amounts of responsibility right away. Scouts, um, you know, really implementing the offense and the defense, recruiting responsibilities, speaking on the radio, you know, you're speaking publicly, you don't really know what you're doing. 
I uh, still don't know what I'm doing all the time, but you know, <laughs> I think you're doing okay <laughs> to, to, you know, develop your own voice. And uh, I remember, I, I, I can distinctly remember I was going to do a clinic early two thousands in front of a bunch of high school coaches in Illinois. And I was nervous and I was like, and this is very much bill. And I think about this all the time as it relates to bill, but I was like, okay, you know, here are my notes. What, what do you think of this? And he was like, look, it's basketball just basketball, you know, kind of Bill, he shrugs his shoulders, puts his palms up in the air. And he's like, you know what you're doing? And um, don't overthink it was the, what I think about with Bill. It's, um, you know, the way that he imparts wisdom is to say like, well, that guy goes there and that guy goes there just do it, you know? And uh, I think that that can be very helpful as you get into specifically this part of the season where you, you kind of, you just have to play. And that's very much Bill. Um, it's interesting. Simplicity is the simplicity to it, yeah. right? We forget yeah. sometimes. Uh, all right. So again, with the history, but now more recently, you had a big reunion of the 96 through 98 squads at Jadwin a couple of weeks back. What was that like for you, especially since you had a big game to coach against yeah. against a guy who I'm sure is like a brother to you, another yeah. New Jersey and Brian Earl. What was that like for you, Mitch? I, I I can't describe it quite well enough, Jerry, but it was equal parts. Um, I've never felt such emotion um, right before the game starts. You know, I'm usually a little nervous, you know, thinking about the game, you know, or, or you're, you're talking you know, to your team. And then, um, you know, we had done our, our athletic staff here had done such a good job of sort of preparing for the event, but pretty much every single guy, uh, with the exception of a hand, maybe like four or five players, and then Coach Carrill came back. Um, and so there, there they go, they walk onto the court and I'm looking down at Brian and, you know, he's got a red shirt on and I'm going to have the Princeton stuff on and I'm like, come on. And we walk out there and it, it hit me really hard, Jerry. And, um, I saw the smiling faces of guys that, um, you know, some I hadn't seen in a long time, some I see all the time, but this is the beauty of being on a team. I, you know, I, I see, you know, the reunions of Seton Hall, great Seton Hall teams, great Rutgers teams. And, um, you, you can never, and I say this to my guys, and this is what you want for your team, is the ability to, in 25 years, come back and, yes, reminisce about the games. Yes, um, you, you, what, what stands out to me as the coach is uh, it's not, you don't remember the bad stuff. You remember that you did something together. And, yes, my wife tells me, she goes, glory days, here we go, you know. And, I, you know, she has a point, <laughs> but um, – it's the it's such a gift to be on a good team with good people. It is the best gift because it never stops. And because you you go through something together, you're putting in tons of time together for the betterment of the group. And that's what that team was. Um, to me, that's that's what that team was all about. So very emotional and then also incredibly difficult playing against Brian's very good Cornell team in the same breath. That's that's like a special hell, you know. I'm sure and he knows he knows your system. He yeah. helped you get that up and running at Princeton as a coach. Yeah, we've we've really um you know, it's he knows all it's like um it's like playing the computer that you know that the what was a blue deep blue deep blue in the chess match, you know, yeah. Everything you're you're like, "Okay, I'm going to try this." Like, boom, they're on it. <laughs> so. You got to love Mitch, Mitch Henderson with the deep blue IBM chess <laughs> chess reference grandmaster. All right, that's why we have you on, Mitch. You mentioned it's a special gift to be a part of a really good team. And it's a gift, I'm sure, you hope that this year's team takes away from the season together. You have a great player, Tosan Awoma. What's it been like for you to watch and be part of his journey from an unknown 
uh, teenager in England to now, you know, an, an elite player in the Ivy League and a really a great representative of Princeton athletics. Yeah, it, it's um, uh, Tosan sent. You know, um, I always ask the seniors and the leaders of the team to say, hey, what do you what do you want us to stand for and how does it line up with our current pillars? And Tosan wrote, you know, focus on the details, humility and then joy and lightheartedness. And, you know, um, these are these are Tosan. These are the things that describe him. And really, it's um, it's it is very humbling to be his coach. Um, he is as equal as good as he is on the court, Jerry off of the court is a stellar star of a human being, absolute star of a person and um, you know, very fortunate. I don't, I think he's generationally good here at Princeton and, you know, we, you know, he's actually improving as we go each game. He's still getting better, um, still trying things out. And, um, you know, he, what I, what is a gift is, you know, if you, even now you, you say, this is what you need to do. And he is 100% locked in on those things there's not one bristling moment with him and when your best player and is also just crushing it academically here um you know he's very he's a he's an example on campus when your best player and and somebody of of this order is like that on the campus it just uh it paves the way for good things uh, for development of others and and really cool and, and fun ways for the future so i'm just forever thankful that that uh, and then we all are as staff that that he's with us it says a lot about the staff too, and I want to mention Brett McConnell, who your uh, your right hand man, who and Rutgers fans know him. Know Brett too. He's a Rutgers guy, former manager there. Uh, he he found him over there in England. That story's been told a lot, but I want to throw a shout out to him. And you said you give your staff a lot of responsibility, the same way Bill did that for you. Yeah, and that's just a great example. Yeah, I, I, you know, um, so so if you look at our record, you know, they even uh, saw something recently where you know Princeton basketball. Since I've been the coach, you know, we've got near the top uh, uh, amount of Ivy league wins as anybody in the league. And um, Brett's been with me for almost the entire run. And, you know, you know, as well as I do, there a staff, um, you know, the good players make good coaches and, and so do staffs. And I have been um, such a beneficiary of, of Brett's being around. He is um, somebody, some school, I, I, some division one school is going to get extraordinarily lucky uh, it's, it's very easy for me, you know, constantly to you know, just give me that chance to talk to an athletic director. He's unbelievably good and he's ready and um, he's a head coach. So we're, we're really fortunate to have here and, and uh, have him here with us. He's, he's been unbelievable. Yes, I see. I think we'll see Brett uh, running his own shop sooner rather than later. Yeah. Uh, Mitch, the Ivy League tournament, you know, you you advocated for that, if I recall correctly. How does that change things the way you approach a season? Uh, what, and what do you think of, I'm like jamming a lot here into a question, but what's it like for you guys to host this event for the first time? Well, pre, pre 2017, you know, you're going into the, the weekend that we just had and we had a very difficult last Saturday, but we're still in first place and you're tied. And it just puts a, it puts a lot at stake in the next two games. And there still is tons at stake. We are, um, always putting all of our chips in on winning the league always. Um, so that's our first goal. But, you know, there is we've punched our ticket to the Ivy League tournament. And um, when we started the talks about the tournament, I, you know, I remember the conversation was like, look, like it's not going to be perfect. Let's just do it. Uh, now, we haven't changed the format. And, you know, as much as, I, you know, it sounds like I'm sour grapes, I'd like to see the number one seed just get protected a bit more. It makes a lot of sense. Yeah. I, you know, I don't. Um, however, 
it's good. We're not, you know, right now we can't change the format. It's, it's what it is, but it, I think overall it's good. It gives more student athletes ex an experience um, to, to feel what it is to play in March. And it is, the league has done such a great job of making that event a premier event. Our people are working, have been working year round. They were up at Harvard last year, paying attention to what's going on. I mean, it's a lot going on. Uh, I've been seeing the signs everywhere as I walk into the gym. I mean, we're, um, it, it, we want to do a great job and it's, and, uh, and make it a lasting impact for the student athletes and the fans. Um, and it means a lot to our fans. I know, and for sure Penn and Yale's to, to be planning around this event two weeks out, uh, or excuse me, three weeks out. So, um, you know, you, you've got to, at this point now, Jerry, we, you know, you, of course, again, we're playing for two more games, but there's a lot at stake in those, and those, those games, but you just need to be, you just need to play. Going back to that Bill Carmody, you've got to let it go and get to a place where you're playing your best basketball. Talk about Coach Crow, and I know a little long-winded here, but he said, you know, the best thing is when you walk out of Jad, when you know Jersey like I do, and when it's still light out and you're still playing, that's a good season. And, um, you know, because our practices are usually at 4.30, you know, so you're walking right. out at 6.45, and, man, it's mid, mid to late March, still playing, nothing better. That's a great observation. Thoughtful. I love it. Uh, change of seasons coming and our favorite season, of course, March Madness. So yeah. I, I have March 12th on my calendar, Mitch. So it would be great to see the Tigers there in a Jadwin that I would hope is filled and nuts, right? Like it was when you were playing. Yeah. That's what your expectations are for this event. I actually, I think it's going to be a great atmosphere. I, I absolutely, you know, and you know, I've been uh, fortunate to have played in the finals and, you know, we, we, we hope we can be playing there with a great crowd and, and a raucous Jadwin, as you point out. 6,800. Let's make it happen, folks. Yeah, uh, yeah, all right. Nothing like it. So well, two more questions for you. Yeah. I really appreciate the time. Um, these are big picture questions, a couple of big picture ones. How, how much does the transfer portal and the NIL and all these changes everybody talks about impact Princeton and your roster building you know, we know you can't have postgrads, so you're losing 50 of your guys. Uh, you have no choice. But does it does it impact you a lot or not so much? Or tell me what the feel is there from your view. It, it's really almost it hasn't impacted us at all. Um, we are, you know, Princeton is allowed transfers. We haven't had one in um, close to, you know, almost almost 30 years. Wow. Um, Sean Jackson, um, way back in the class of 92, but I, you know, we we are um, we're hopeful that that something like that could happen at some point. But we very much, Jerry, have been, um, you know, I mean, I don't know if you want to even call it old school or you know, at, at this point, it's, it feels like dinosaur. But you know, we're we're, we're going to be a four year program, um, right? You know, for the most part, that's very much it lines up with the four year experience here at Princeton and what we want. You know, sort of the maturation of the process of being a Princeton University student and the commitment to the that four-year process. Now you mentioned the grad students. Yeah, we've had transfers leave, but not because they're leaving because they're unhappy because they right. graduate. And uh, you mentioned, yeah, we don't have grad school. So uh, we do have graduates, grad school, but not, um, you know, our guys generally go on to play somewhere else. So. Right. You know, you can't have post-grads playing right. for you at Princeton, right? Yep. So that's hard because these are Princeton men who I'm sure would stay if they could, but they have to leave to get their fifth year and that's going to change. Obviously, this is a weird COVID bubble situation. Yeah, this and is it, not a permanent know, thing. Look, look around. I mean, you see at Pitt, you see these, you know, situations where where transfers have come in and made major impacts. Rutgers, I mean, right. major major impact on a team. Like one guy drops into a bucket, 
and can make a big difference. It can also go the other way. You know, you, you, you hope that it lines up with your values and your, you know, but you know, you've seen, and we will continue to see even up to the final four transfers having made a, a major impact on, you know, your performance. But there is a joy. And just from my perspective, there's a joy to watching someone come in as an 18 year old boy and leave as a 22 year old man. And for you, I'm sure that's magnified tenfold because, you know, you're coaching them, you're in loco parentis for them. So yes. that's, that's something you'll continue to experience. Whereas other coaches might experience less. of. This is, um, this is the, you know, when, when you get older, I don't see my, you know, self uh, holding any trophies or counting victories. I, I think it's the relationships. Um, I'm hopeful to, to be a part of making an impact on a la in a lasting way on young men. And um, that this is a special place for that. And, you know, you're you know, constantly having conversations, one on one conversations with guys about their academic life here on campus, being their best selves, uh, which translates to how you are on the court. Everything here for us is related. You know, you. I always say we we carry our backpacks on our backs with pride. We're like, you know, well, you know, we're we're uh, proud dorks around here, Jerry, you know, like, uh, you know, going hard for the we want to be great at everything that you do. You know, let's let's right. love that and, and own it. Um, and that that kind of tends to happen over time. You're right. As freshman year, you, you're a little like, oh, my gosh, everybody here is smarter than me. Everybody's you know, that's what you kind of come in thinking, like, do I belong here? And then then confidence comes in. And I love seeing that and being a part of that and walking arm in arm with uh, the young men uh, that, that we get a chance to have. Mitch, it's been said that Princeton has helped shape the modern NCAA tournament with the near victory over Georgetown and then, you know, the win over UCLA that you were a part of. Do you, what are your thoughts on the potential of NCAA tournament expansion? I, you know, so first, I'm, I, you know, you look at just the amount of NCAA teams and then the, the amount of teams that make the tournament and then the how special the tournament is. I do not think that you water down the tournament at all with expansion. I think that, you know, eight, you know, what is it? 18% of schools make the NCAA tournament. That's the lowest in the modern of any big sporting event. Right. That's a, that's extraordinarily low number. Um, and I get the purists out there, but man, it, things have changed completely there. We have transfers, we have NIL, um, you know, um, we've seen a small expansion of the tournament, but I, I'd love to see more. It is this, it is the single coolest event out there to be a part of um, because you're all playing for this one goal. And I don't think that it gets watered down at all. If you, if you're seeing slightly more teams get a chance to do it. Secondly, um, March, you know, this is, this is it. Like, um, and, and I, you know, I, I don't think when you expand the tournament also, Jerry, like it's not, uh, it's not like um, people don't, you still don't get Princeton, Georgetown or Princeton, UCLA or, or UMBC, Virginia, you're, you're still going to have uh, magic. It's still going to be super special, like, because special things happen. You're on a neutral court and you've got great, and this selections committee will still have great stories to line up. And um, there, there's really, you know, and you still have it in March. So it's, it's just magic. I don't think you can take the magic away from what the NCAA tournament is. I, I think it's too special. You, you really can't mess it up. I don't think. You know, it's an interesting perspective. Rich Enser, the commissioner of the MAC, who I'm sure you've crossed paths with, paths with over the years, a Jersey guy too, Lacey Township in Ocean County. He, he was on our show uh, about a month ago, and he said he thinks what's going to happen is what he would hope would happen if they do expand the tournament slightly, they protect the automatic qualifiers. Like So, so St. Peter's of the world, Princeton, 
you know, the Northeast Conference winner won't have to play an extra round. Like they already would go in where they normally would go in and let the at-larges, the extra at-larges battle it out in those preliminary rounds. Does that make sense to you? It makes total sense. And, you know, um, what, what, what you worry about from Princeton's perspective is, uh, you know, a, 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 you know, sort of just a big conglomerate of the big boys just doing their own thing and pushing and shoving and elbowing their way in. So I love that perspective from the Mac conference. And I think that's those voices I think should be, um, I, I would hope they're listened to very carefully. The The beauty of the tournament is, um, and it's only going to be getting better in terms of viewership, in my opinion, because the current players at Princeton are less afraid of the big boys than they were 35 years ago. They're, they're more on an even playing field with youth basketball being what it is. Um, they're all playing against each other versus 35 years ago. You know, you, you, whoever was on Georgetown team, they were in the magazines and you weren't, <laughs> you know? Right. So um, I just think that it's going to get better and better. And I like the idea of, of giving the, the smaller conferences their, their seed and sticking with it. Well, that's great perspective from someone who would know Mitch has played and coached in the NCAA tournament and been a part of some epic moments. Mitch Henderson, it's been a pleasure to talk shop with you on the Jersey Jump Shot podcast. I wish you luck the rest of the season, and I hope to see you again in a few weeks in the great Jadwin gym. Jerry, what a pleasure. I'm hoping for a little uh, Jersey Jersey magic and karma from you. So look forward to seeing you in a, in a few weeks. All right, let's do it. Thanks again to Mitch Henderson for joining the show today, Jerry. Uh, the the Tigers, a tough one against Yale on Saturday. They're, they're 0-2 against Yale so far this season, and that looks to be really their main competition come time for the Ivy League tournament. They're going to have to beat them eventually, and uh, we'll see if they can get it done uh, if they do meet in the Ivy League tournament on their home floor. Probably. Now, Princeton has, as we said, clinched a berth in the Ivy League, four-team Ivy League tournament at Jadwin Gym. Boy, Jadwin's a great, unique place. Chris, you ever been? You should go at some point. I know it's hard, far I've from where you live. I've never made it there. It's never a unique experience, man. It's a, it's a different type of place. Uh, when it gets – when you know, it was a nice crowd, almost 3,000 for the game Saturday night. When it gets rocking, it's fun. It's unique. It's it's a big place. It's like a – I want to say carrier dome because it's not that big, obviously. You know how in the carrier dome, like the the, the court is just part of the whole thing? You yeah, know, it's, it's, yes. It's not that big. Jadwin's not that big, but it's a unique place in that there's like a tra- indoor track in there and the place is really vast, but it's got a lot of character to it. Uh, and, you know, it's, there's a lot of legacy there. I mean, it's just a ton of his. The place is dripping with history. So it's a fun place to watch a game. It's a really good mid-major venue. The tournament should be fun there for the Ivy League, but like Princeton's probably, they're probably going to have to figure out a way to get past Yale, probably, unless someone else does the work for them. And Yale has their number. And I want to say that both these teams are really good, man. And, Chris, I don't want to make you envious, but after watching a season of teams that can't score, you know, Rutgers, Seton Hall, they play great, they play hard. Teams that can't shoot other than maybe one guy, uh, each team has, like, one guy that can shoot. Everyone else lays bricks. Well, I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, exactly. Princeton, I mean, they, they're entertaining, man. They, they have four guys who can shoot the rock. They have a big man who's, like, a point forward. You know, they, they spread the court great. Uh, it's fun to watch. Now, Princeton's got to play better defense. they got to take better care of the ball in crunch time. They had some issues there against Yale. You know, whenever you blow an, an 18, 19-point lead at home with eight minutes left, it's bad. 
It's not, uh, it's not what you want. No, that's bad. But I, I want to, I do think that the, whoever survives the Ivy League, assuming it's Princeton or Yale, is going to give somebody a real fit in the NCAA tournament. They're going to score points, and they're going to be out, they're going to be breathing down somebody's neck. It was a really well played. Like you watch that game, if you watch that game, Sadie, like these guys can these guys can ball, and so it's fun. And I think you know what ideally, Princeton winds up on the other end of the bracket from Yale. That stuff has to play out yet, and it would be a tremendous final on on Selection Sunday. Uh, it would be like, a, you know, early in the day, it would be like a be there. If you're in New Jersey and you want to see something potentially historic, you get to Jadwin on Selection Sunday if it's Princeton-Yale in that final. Princeton, just the one game this coming week that's at Harvard on Saturday. So they've already punched their ticket to the Ivy League tournament. Now it's just kind of get there, stay healthy, and then see what happens on your home floor. You have a nice advantage there, as Jerry said, playing in Jadwin for the Ivy League tournament. They're going to have to eventually beat Yale, it looks like unless Yale slips up uh, before they meet in the championship game there. But worry about that when it happens. Get there and, and make it an historic season for the Tigers. So we'll continue to keep an eye on them. Again, thanks to Mitch Henderson for stopping by the show. Uh, as our other mid-majors uh, this past week, let's take a look at both Ryder and FDU. Ryder with two losses to Canisius and Quinnipiac. Uh, FDU, they lose to Sacred Heart, but they beat Wagner. Coming up this week for Ryder, they have Siena on Friday and Mount St. Mary's on Sunday. FDU, they have the St. Francis's, is, is, is St. Francis, <laughs> Pennsylvania, Thursday, St. Francis, Brooklyn on Sunday. So, Jerry, our mid-majors, how are we looking here? Here's the thing, two totally different situations because – so it doesn't look like – Ryder's probably not going to win the MAC. You know, Iona's got a two-game lead. Iona's red hot. Iona is closing well here. They could. I mean, they do play Iona, and they have beaten them once. They could win it, but it's not – and it's not it's not that the MAC title is meaningless. It is meaningful. It's a championship. It's a banner. And you get a berth in the NIT, which is important, okay, for these programs that don't get to play in these tournaments a lot. That will be a really nice year for Ryder if that's what it comes down to. However, the MAC winner doesn't have home court. I mean, they play the tournament in Atlantic City. It's fun to go there and watch the game. I like the environment, and the venue, but they don't. There's no tangible advantage in the bracket for where you place in the standings. So, where so whereas. For FDU, there's a lot on the line this week. And this is the Northeast Conference is the first conference to, to wrap up. It's regular season. So we'll know by the week, end of the weekend, if FDU has done it or not. Right now, they're in third place. It's very tight at the top with uh, Merrimack and Stonehill and FDU. And if FDU does not control its own destiny, Merrimack controls its destiny. But FDU is in pretty good shape in terms of tiebreakers. So if FDU can go 2-0 against the St. Francis's, get some help, then they can win the league. And then, first of all, it's a tremendous accomplishment to win the league and punch that NIT, automatic NIT ticket uh, when you when they won four games all of last year. That was tremendous on its own. But at the Rothman Center, you're right now and FDU is guaranteed to play a quarterfinal at home in the, in the Northeast Conference Tournament. If they get if they can win the league, which you know it's, we'll see this week, if they can do it and host every game they play in the Northeast Conference tournament, that's what's fun about college basketball. You get these small conferences with everybody at home, you know, the winner at home, and everybody in town is there, and the place is a circus. That's that's what you want. That's what March Madness, you know, championship week. That's it's the appetizer for March Madness when it's like that. And so if that happens, I will be there. And Chris, maybe you'll drop in. Aren't don't you live up there somewhere? I do live up there. I will what, drop in. Yeah, that might be fun. Just to have a little fun. 
we'll have a little fun there. And so, uh, listen, that's all Those my are great environments. That's what you want. I mean, Mark, yeah. I mean, that's the sure. best, you know, raucous, it's fun, it's loud. Right. But FDU's got a little work to do and they need a little help. So we'll know by this time next week where they stand, but keep an eye on that. There's a lot at stake for this week, this week for the Knights. A lot of stake for for all these teams, really. All five of these contenders that we've mentioned on the show, Rutgers, Seton Hall, Princeton, Ryder, and FDU. Big weeks ahead for those five teams in New Jersey. So we'll keep an eye on that. And of course, we'll be back next week to see where they all stand. We are working towards March next week. Our last show in February. February is the shortest month. It just won't end. Just get us to March already. We're ready for it. Five yes, get us to March. Get us to March. I'm done with February. I'm done. Let's go. For spring okay. football, right? That's what everyone's excited about? What? <laughs> XFL? That's what you've been Wait watching? Wait a second. Long, long <laughs> podcast. Never mind. <laughs> we do have a Rutgers football podcast. There you go. Pr- cross promotion. Check that out in a couple months. But uh, thank you for listening. Of course, a fun week ahead for these teams. We'll keep an eye on everything. Read what Chris, Jerry, and Steve are writing for NorthJersey.com, APP.com, MyCentralJersey.com. Again, thanks to Mitch Henderson for joining the show. And thank you for listening. Enjoy the games this week. We'll be back next week with another Jersey Jump Shot. Jersey Jump Shot is a production of the Asbury Park Press and USA Today Network. Subscribe at app.com. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.